Welcome back to Eldritch Girl. Thank you for listening so far. Um, this episode is 13th, part 3. Um, so we're starting with chapter 2, uh, Lord of the Flies. Um, in this chapter, we've got some bird death and Ricky doing some entrail reading. We've got some musings on mortality and we've got um, considerations of death. Um, so enjoy this i guess yeah this is i mean i said in the crows that ricky needs a content warning all of his own but i mean we're eight months on from the crows at this point and um i think he's done a little bit of growth like a tiny bit of growth it's also i mean he's also grown to realize he has even more issues than we thought he did but like you know growth anyway enjoy part Chapter 2 Lord of the Flies He tried to convey the compulsion to track down and kill, swallowing him up. Quote from William Golding's Lord of the Flies 11th of January Fairwood House was silent under the moonlight, but it was not dreaming, it was thinking. Its Georgian facade covered an internal mess of add-ons and various architectural misadventures, the 13th century stone crypt, the only remnant of the monastery it had been built on top of, some Tudor timbers still in residence, but the rest had rotted away and been restored fully just under a year ago. The locals nicknamed it the Crows, and it didn't mind that, but he liked its original name. Him. Fairwood contemplated its lodger. Richard Edwin Ricky Porter, autodidact, taxidermist, car thief, had got rid of its resident spectre, a violent whirlwind of arson and destruction, but now he haunted its halls and passages instead, and filled it with a scent of soil and sweat and crusting blood. He kept things neat, at least, and didn't spit on the bare floorboards. But yesterday he'd come home with something wrapped in old newspaper, and muttered some incantations, and it felt... different... He was given to muttering to himself in gruff, self-taught Old English, but the house wasn't old enough to understand that, its 13th century stone roots more attuned to medieval Latin, with the vaguest recollections of Anglo-Norman and a lost dialect of Middle English. The only owner it had had who'd studied Old English at university was nowhere near fluent, and had forgotten much of it before she'd come to the house. Carrie's memories were not useful for deciphering his rhythmic verses, and it didn't know if he was reciting some saga or riddle to himself, or if he was composing something new. That aside, someone's heart was up its kitchen chimney. It could feel it there like a flea bite, the fresh organ nestled against the brick and starting to rot. It waited for him to come home and explain himself. It was waiting a while... He came through the gates just after midnight, a girl on his shoulder in a fireman's lift, towing her suitcase in his other hand. She was a skinny, athletic-looking thing, and though the house had never seen her before, her aura was familiar. It braced to reject her and keep them both outside. He had gone too far. He knew the rules. Ricky grinned in his cocky, crooked way like a naughty schoolboy who knew he was about to get away with something appalling. Evening, love. The heart in the chimney gave a small, feeble thump, and the house found it couldn't resist. Its gates creaked open without a fuss. Ricky, what have you done? 
This is my cousin, Ricky announced, shifting her comatose dead weight on his shoulder. He made it look easy, but Fairwood's windows could see him sweating. Her name's Catherine. She's going to be staying for a bit. Hope you don't mind. Ricky? It's not for long, promise. All in a good cause. I'll explain inside. He trudged up the gravel drive towards the porch. You'd better. You'll really like her, but don't get attached. Ricky struggled up the steps and the front door opened to admit them. Course she's heavy after a while. When you said we might be having guests, this wasn't what I had in mind. Ricky's angular face tilted in the light of the entrance hall, hood slipping back and revealing the puckered skin at the back of his shaved head. Those lips were currently shut, set in a curved line of scar tissue. The family's not happy. It's getting a bit complicated. The house released a deep draught, joists groaning all through its attics and upper floors. We will talk about this at length. Yeah, of course. He gave his burden a pat on the back of her legs. Not now, eh? She's sleeping. Fairwood contemplated pushing the consciousness of its rooms and passageways into a single point, condensing all facets of its personalities from across its floor plan into one multidimensional avatar. Ricky usually listened to the avatar. It looked like the late owner, Carrie Rickard. Carrie had died eight months ago of an aneurysm, but thanks to her dying wish, her form and mind lived on in the walls. The avatar was so good it could fool her still-living parents on the phone or by video chat, and once even in person, but with Ricky it didn't have to try as hard. Carrie was the part of the house who made coherent decisions when the various rooms could not agree, and Ricky tried to get around her in the same way as when she'd been alive, as if, apart from her melting out of the walls and floor occasionally and not needing to eat or drink or breathe, he hadn't really noticed the difference. Or at least he pretended he didn't to avoid feeling guilty about it, and pretended so successfully that he had, at last, convinced himself. Ricky didn't know what to do with guilt, Fairwood realised. The house decided against manifesting for the time being, and let him struggle with his cousin up the stairs. She weighs a bloody ton, he complained halfway up. I carried her from the station already, how about a hand? She's your guest. Very funny. He dropped her off on a camp bed in one of the six guest rooms, none of which had been furnished yet, and retreated to the room that had been Carrie's. All her things were still there, her clothes, her bedspread, the room exactly as it had been. It welcomed him wearily, one of the more genial upper rooms. The one Catherine Porter was sleeping in was less impressed, its board still bearing the chalk marks of an ill-judged seance. The room didn't recognise her, but Carrie did. Carrie had seen the girl once before, when she'd had tea with the girl's grandmother. The girl was a few months older now, and her makeup made her look older still, but she couldn't be more than sixteen or seventeen. Even in sleep, she had the sulky cast to her long face that Ricky sometimes had, a Porter family trait. She'd been introduced to Carrie as Katie. Fairwood absorbed this information and siphoned through Katie's dreams to get to know her better, until it touched something dark and oily in her head that resisted with a slavering snarl. The house recoiled. What have you brought here? Ricky shook his head, stretching out his muscles on Carrie's bedroom floor, and didn't reply immediately. Fairwood's rooms whispered in concert, debating what to do. Ricky, irritatingly, had become adept at tuning them out.
She could kill me, you know, he said, as if this would win him points. He kicked off his shoes and lay on the bed fully clothed, protecting his back lips with his arms, staring at the ceiling. Only now did Fairwood focus itself into a point, Carrie's face forming a pattern in the cracks and lines above his head. I could well believe that, she said. Her voice was almost the same as when she'd been alive, just a little deeper and more resonant. Ricky fixed his eyes on her with an unguarded expression of relief that she'd appeared, and the house feasted on his silent adoration. He looked oddly delicate in this form now, short and lean, all bones and angles, tired skin and heavy eyes. He'd been proud of his body, Fairwood knew. He'd honed it, trained it, and it was entirely his. Now his changes were complete, and his beauty, his glory, had been set free. His body betrayed him, couldn't keep up with the demands he made of it, and it was slipping out of his control. Carrie Fairwood could see that, and she knew he knew it too. Historically, Ricky's response to feeling out of control of a situation was to try and take it back somewhere else, by killing someone or poisoning them, or, in this case, taking charge of who the house allowed through its gates and abducting his cousin. It probably made logical sense to him, but that didn't make it better. God, you look awful. I told you, you're not looking after yourself. Why didn't you eat your dinner? You've already got a calorie deficit to make up from the last time you've changed. He blinked up at her. Oh, I... his cheeks tinged. Seeing what Uncle Marcus sees is a right pain in the arse. I wish I'd never eaten his sodding eye. What do you see? Carrie Fairwood asked, although she didn't really want to know. Auntie Ida. Far too much of her. At their time of life, too. Bloody hell. He shook his head, looking ill. All the politics and clandestine bullshit I can stomach, that was the point. But all the rest of it, shit me. I wish that had occurred to me sooner. He made a face and Carrie couldn't help but laugh. He managed a weak smile and changed the subject. All right, in all genuine seriousness, on a scale of wonder fucked, where do you think I am when her and their changes? The house creaked, breathing around him. Into whatever the hell is in her head? Carrie could feel the snarl reverberate through her, enough to reduce her to splinters. She winced. I'd say you're fairly up there, mate. He nodded, swallowing. Yeah, that's what I thought. Carrie Fairwood switched to voiceless communication, in case Katie's hearing was sharper than the average 17-year-old coma patient. Does she know you killed her gran? Not yet. He grinned. Still can't see my own future properly. Maybe I get out of it, eh? The family cull, I mean. What do you think? She might not mind so much, not if I'm useful to her. The avatar pushed itself into her humanoid form, sucking the life out of the room around him and climbed down the wall. He made room for her to lie beside him, propping himself up slightly so his tendrils had space to emerge. She heard them thrum against his esophagus on the way out. She probed his mind and his thoughts mingled with hers. He didn't want to look at her. It's all right, he said. In the long run, it'll work out. And you won't have to worry about me bringing body parts into the house anymore. I know you don't really like that. About that heart at my chimney. Yeah, I... Can we talk about that in the morning, love? It's, it's nothing, honest. It's for your benefit, that's all. I highly doubt that. He sighed. Best of intentions, I promise. She didn't say anything. Ricky's best intentions led to some fairly gnarly situations, so that didn't fill her with confidence. She watched his face as his eyes slid into sad, vacant staring at the ceiling. His lips tightened, and he looked far older than twenty-nine. 
What happens to you when I'm not here? I've tried and tried, but I can't see that either. You're technically already dead, see, and I can't quite manage the fate of the dead. Yet. He was thinking about dying, she realised, and the room chilled around them. Don't be defeatist. This isn't like you. That's fatalistic, not defeatist. There's a difference. He shrugged, swallowing. His eyes were moist. I didn't think I'd get this far, he admitted. I got everything I ever wanted. That was a proper surprise. Thought the entrails were lying when I saw that. She pulled herself into his side and rested her head on his chest. Ricky had almost grown used to it, used to feeling safe, used to the weight and texture of her against him. She had grown used to him too. I wish you hadn't done it, she whispered. What? Which bit? Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? All of it, I guess. I wish you hadn't... I don't know. I can't unpick it. I don't know where it started. You wish I was something else? Not exactly. He breathed in her smell, loamy, warm, an old library in summer, the one she knew he liked. It relaxed him a little. You want me to be like Wes, or made-up principles and vegetarian? I wish you'd see people as more than spare parts for you to use. He grinned. You want a lot? I wish you'd see yourself as more than spare parts for other people to use. That would be a start. Oi, haven't you heard? I'm a bloody god. She got comfortable, pulling his arm over her. You're still an arsehole. Charming. She looked up at him, window-pane eyes seeing through his. You don't want to die, do you? He shuddered behind his fixed smile. You're right, I'm being... Now ignore me. I'm, I'm not thinking clear tonight, that's all. I ain't gonna die. You're not sure? Carrie Fairwood didn't like it when he wasn't sure. He may be a colossal prick, but she was sentimental about him, like a broken gargoyle that had taken on its own charm and had become a feature just as it was. Why not just kill her now? This a test. He glanced down at her, but she was serious. Nah, she survives to change. I've seen it. Does she only survive because you refuse to kill her because you think she survives? Carrie sat up, narrowing her eyes. Is this one of those self-fulfilling things? What if I did it? He made a low sound. You'd go in there and smother her with a pillow, would you? Crush her windpipe? Drown her in the bath? A little household accident? The house... I've lured people in before and hurt them. Yeah, when you were rotting, this is different. How? He stroked her hair, teasing the strands between his fingers. Love, you won't succeed. I've seen it. It's a waste of energy. She'll survive, and I don't want to see you damaged. Let her be. If it's my time, it's my time. She shook her head. You're an agent of fate, not its slave. An agent ought to have some agency of their own, don't you think? He shrugged, eyeing the enamel contours of her bare shoulder. He traced them with smooth fingertips, then ran his hand down her arm, letting it glide along the polished surface like the waxed veneer of the banister rail. His touch connected them with a mutual sense of belonging. You're getting better at this. It's nearly right. I can still tell, though. His smile was crooked and shallow. It slipped away as she pulled herself closer, watching him. You're the first place I ever properly stayed in, apart from at home. Never spent a few nights away before, until you let me in. She paused, his memories slipping through her mortar, 
that's not true. What about when you were a kid and doesn't count? And that time you slept rough for a bit. You're the first place I wanted to be. They're happy. He rolled his eyes. That's what counts. It was my choice to be here. That's what I mean. My first place away from home. My parents' place. You know what I mean. He looked away. You really cross. She studied him, wondering what difference that would make. Yeah, a bit. He only nodded, a short jerk of his chin. You sorry to see me come home tonight? No. She tried levity because he really looked like he was going to cry. His cheeks were drawn, eyes pink and moist. His jaw fluttered as he clenched it. Carrie tapped his breastbone lightly. You only have to look at my grate and it catches fire. He snorted and it turned into a choking cough. <laughs> Behave. That was better. Her mind turned back to the current problem, comatose in the camp bed in her guest room. How many people have you killed? Ricky pondered this, not ever having kept score. Not as many as you think. Only a few a year. Since when? He yawned. Fuck knows. Don't matter much now, does it? I only done for a couple since I moved in here. Give the man a medal. I've done everything else, you asked. She stroked his face and he leaned into her hand. His eyes moistened, but he was getting better at holding it in. Something twisted inside her chest where her heart had been. Turn the light off, love. She didn't need to reach for it. The lamp went out and the house drifted into gentle, quiet slumber, letting his thoughts merge with its dreams. Chapter 2, Lord of the Flies, Part 2 Ricky's Memory, Soothsaying in October Ricky sat alone in the coal cellar at Fairwood House, deep in contemplation. Around him, dead birds were arranged in a rough pattern in various stages of death and decay, their entrails spilling onto the candlelit floor. One was still twitching, clinging grimly to life with every ounce of fight it had, but as he watched, the light winked out of its bright, agonised eye, and it twitched once more and lay still. Interesting. He allowed himself a slow yawn and a stretch, unsure of the time. Maggots danced inside a magpie to his left. He nodded at it, poring over the putrefaction. His jaw fluttered. Merlin Sylvestris could prophesy accurately without reading the dead. He had read about it before. He'd thought that with his beauty now fully revealed, his glory fully manifested, that the secrets of the cosmos would fall into place before his eyes, regardless of which form he was in. Yet here he was, a few months on, and he was still rooting about in corpses and couldn't see his own future. The forbidden desire hadn't gone away either. He tried not to think about it, but poking at the ruined bodies only made it starker, mocking him. He could see any number of things in his beautiful form, feed upon the energies of lesser things, open his third eye and bask in the wonders of what was yet to come. But he still couldn't change it. The dance of the birds in the sky on previous evenings had told him he wasn't going to be the sole master of Fairwood House for long. All right, lodger. She didn't like it when he used the M word. He'd killed a few to make sure, finding satisfaction in their decay. But the entrails told him the same thing. She'd find others to fill her rooms. A house like this couldn't be content with only one inhabitant. It wasn't what she was built for. He couldn't blame her for that. 
He picked up the freshly dead sparrow, still at last, its final shudders only underlining what everything else had revealed. It wasn't often he lost his temper, but its beak was gaping in a mocking laugh and he couldn't stand it. He clenched his fist, squeezing until the sinews stood out in his forearms, until he felt the small bag of flesh and bones burst and crack and ooze between his fingers. The coal cellar watched, that vengeful part of her she kept under lock and key, and he fueled her thirst. Why are you angry? He grinned in the flickering dark. Shouldn't I be? You said I'd be your lodger, your only one. That's not what these say. We're going to have guests. When did I promise you that? We don't need anyone else. I am all you need. I can repair you. I can take care of you. I can... He felt the smouldering bitterness of Fairwood's bad memories pushing at him from the walls as the bird blood drained into her foundations. She sucked it up like milk. Good old girl. I'll help you feel better. None else can give you revenge like me. I don't need revenge now, Fairwood whispered. He stroked the floor, smiling crookedly at the flagstones. Out loud, he said, you should have seen all their faces when I changed in front of them. The family, I mean. They think I'm a god. What are the eyeballs for? The voice tickled the back of his brain, whispering gently. He glanced around at the mason jars on shelves above his taxidermy kit. Insurance. I'm learning what to do with them. And you really think I'd bring guests in here? He sensed this was meant to be a joke, but he was on the defensive. It's tidy, ain't it? The whole cellar seemed to sigh. There's no need to be so upset. You of all people should know the future isn't a straight line. He blocked her out of his head. He'd rather burn her to the ground himself than be just another lodger, a guest lost in the crowd. Bird remained squidged around his flexing fingers. The little broken body flopped wetly onto the floor. I ain't jealous. Jealousy's beneath me. That was almost his grandmother's voice, the mantra deeply ingrained. He sniffed at his hand, inhaling the stink of blood and contents of the burst digestive system, and wiped it off in a ragged hand towel. He blew the candles out and kicked the maggot-filled birds out of his way as he headed to the steps. Yeah, so that was um, parts one and two of chapter two. Um, part three of chapter two is coming up next week. Um, we're going to have some bonus episodes coming up as well. So look out for more author interviews and some other fun stuff. 
um, I'm going to be doing some short stories, but I'm also going to be introducing um, Sasha Shaw, um, who is actually a cameo in 13th, and she has um, her own spin-off novel, which is going to be a slasher romance, um, kind of like uh, Splatterpunk, I guess, um, and that's being co-written with Ezra Aunt. Um, Ezra Aunt is the new pen name of um, Nita Pan, who I had on the show last season. Um, so it's a bit of an updated author rebrand there. Um, and I've changed things accordingly on the transcript for that interview. So I'm going to have Ezra on again. And we're maybe going to have a chat about Eldritch Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which is our love letter to slasher films and ABBA. Um, so look out for all of that. It's going to be really fun. I'd love to know what you think about 13th so far. I would love to know what you think about the development of Ricky's character and Carrie and, you know, sort of how they are all set up. Um, I kind of tried to write 13th to be a standalone or rather a book that you could pick up and read if you hadn't read The Crows before and you could read The Crows as a prequel. But it's also, it's got its own feel to it. But it does help if you know who Ricky is. I um, I wonder if you've picked up some of the stuff that are just flat out contradictions of stuff that he said in his point of view in The Crows that Carrie's kind of called him out on in this one, which is interesting. Yeah, there's going to be some more fun moments like where you get to see where he gets phrases from and that kind of thing. So I don't know if you notice a bit of mirroring going on in part two, um, where Wes says is there an echo your end and the is there an echo thing is what ricky says to carrie in the crows so yeah so lots of little family kind of phrases that you know what's ricky and what's what did he get from his family kind of thing yeah i hope you enjoy it and i'd love to know what you what you think and you can at me on twitter at cm rosens and you can tweet about podcast and stuff meanwhile you can grab the books and stuff again from my Kofi shop you can join Kofi as um, an eldritch seeker or a member of the eldritch family check that out it's ko-fi.com forward slash cmrosens and yeah I really appreciate any support you can give thanks very much and I will see you next week bye now <laughs>